Welcome back to the Crow's Nest. I'm your host, Tyler Holmes, and you're here on Two Crows. I had a friend just send me a link about a crazy condition that people are getting here in Minnesota. Yeah, that's where I am right now. I normally travel around, but with my medical stuff going on, I am stuck in Minnesota going to the Mayo Clinic, so here I am, hopefully able to leave before the winter. Back to what my friend sent me. There's a tick, the Lone Star tick here, that people are contracting alpha gall syndrome very frequently now when being bit by this tick. It is more prevalent now, it was more rare, and now it's becoming a thing. I guess they like the environment and are breeding like crazy, which I am not a fan of. Well, alpha gall syndrome, I'm going to read it to you, is a serious, potentially life-threatening allergic condition. AGS is also called alpha gall allergy, red meat allergy, or tick bite meat allergy. AGS is not caused by an infection. AGS symptoms occur after people eat red meat or are exposed to other products containing alpha-gall. It looks like it takes about one to two years for these people to be able to handle red meat again if they have not been bit by another one of these ticks. And the first symptoms of this are hives or itchy rash, nausea or vomiting, heartburn or indigestion, diarrhea, cough, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, drop in blood pressure, swelling of the lips, throat, tongue or eyelids, dizziness, fainting, oh my gosh, there's more, severe stomach pains and allergies to red meat. I developed Lyme disease my first year in Minnesota after being bit by a deer tick while gardening. Yeah, don't garden. Fresh air is for dead people. But I developed chronic Lyme, and I really don't want this too, so I'm going to stay in my bed. This creature is the thing of nightmares, so please keep it away from me, and I'm feeling itchy already just thinking about it. Okay, I just read something worse. There has been an uptick of people developing certain types of cancers as well after developing this from the tick. So yeah, I really don't want that. Let's, let's just will this thing away and kill it with fire. So this will air after I had my scans done for a cancer-seeking scan. Um, but as of right now, I have not had it done yet while recording. And so that's kind of what's on the forefront of my mind right now because my blood test just came back yesterday and they're a little concerning. This may be like crazy TMI and I really don't care because it's my podcast. So you're gonna sit here and listen to me. So I have my normal POTS, EDS, and MCAS stuff that I'm used to. But then I started developing really, really bad uh, gastroparesis where I cannot keep food down the last two months. And that's been really, really challenging. Then a week ago, I developed some discharge from the same breast that I had tumors in before that I had to have a lumpectomy on. So that was concerning. And so I called my doctor and I'm getting in for a diagnostic mammogram and scan um, ultrasound 
next Wednesday. And right now I'm recording this on Tuesday, the week before that. So I have this waiting game. That's the soonest the oncologist will be at the hospital near me. Uh, I could have traveled further away to be seen sooner, but I can't really drive because I'm so dizzy and nauseous right now. And the hospital that I'd have to drive to is either two hours or four hours away to go to the Mayo Clinic. Um, the hospital that's here is like a mile away, so I can get there. But it's just a pain in the butt, and they're going to send my scans over to my doctor at Mayo so that they can evaluate it. But the oncologist wants to evaluate it right then because they're really concerned. And I sent them pictures of everything going on, and so they really want to get me in and get me scanned. I'm hoping that it's just like an injury from me throwing up and like hitting myself on something throwing up and not realizing it but it is not great the symptoms that's the only other thing it can really be now mind you the only thing that um, I've been able to keep down is fluids and so I should be really hydrated um, I drink a lot of water about four liters of water a day I have a liter bottle next to me and I fill it up about four times and I also have protein drinks to try to supplement what's going on. Um, and these are my results that I just got back from the doctor. Besides my hips having some issues, um, my hemoglobin, hematocrit, erythrocytes, lymphocytes, creatinine, and proteins were all high. Now, if any one of those were high, it wouldn't be as concerning, but all of those being high together with my symptoms and everything going on kind of point to something more serious going on and are pretty concerning. So I'm getting into a few different specialists and they're trying to get me into a hematologist, a doc blood doctor. Um, to figure out what exactly is going on. But like I said, the hospital that I have to go to for any specialists are either two hours away or four hours away, depending on the specialist. These things together point to a liver and kidney issue or possible bone marrow issue or lung issue or a combination of them. Um, my oxygen level is pretty low for my blood volume being so freaking high. My blood pressure is really low, my heart rate is really high, but that's normal with POTS and me being in a state of pain all the time. I'm so dizzy, I'm falling down the stairs constantly, so it's been real, real fun, and uh, that's kind of part, part of why I've been starting this podcast and decided to do all of this, because I can do it from my room and not have to leave and be able to use my voice and feel like I have a sense of community again and not feel so alone. And you don't have to feel so alone either because other people out here have issues too. And I know I'm not the only one. So I'll try to make you feel a little better by pushing forward and doing things even though my body is telling me I don't want to do it. So here we are doing it and encouraging you to do it too. Do the thing. Do the darn thing. Only if your body can handle it, though. I wouldn't suggest going and climbing Mount Everest if you can barely go up and down your stairs like I can barely do. But let's jump into it. I have a story for you today. And it's one of my life that is very bizarre, very strange. And it is a dating story. Now, this person is so aloof to this situation that occurred 
that I don't even know if they would know I was talking about them if they heard it. But this story is called Babysitter Guy. Yeah, I have cute little pet names for all the weird dates that I've been on. And this one is probably at the top of the charts. Danger? No. I wasn't in danger. It was just a very strange situation. So at the time, I was Polly. Well, I still am. But at the time, I was Polly and in a Polly relationship long distance with somebody who was seeing other people as well. So we we were each other's primary partners. And then we were also dating people and living in separate states from each other. But the primary thing for us was that emotionally we were each other's confidants. We had been friends for many, many years, and we really were there for each other and understood what each other needed. So with that said, he helped me make a dating profile, and I suck at dating and had never really dated before that. To say it was fun would be a flat-out lie. But I got some cool stories out of it that now I can share with you. So let's dive into Babysitter Guy. It started out as most do. One day on Tinder. I was scrolling through and matched with somebody. Somebody who was decently attractive and had a career. Somebody who was willing to come to my tiny town and meet me somewhere that I felt comfortable and knew people. So we show up, we meet, we have fun, we have a couple drinks and some food, and we just hit it off like just chatting and talking about nerdy shit. I even wrote my partner right after the date and said that was pretty cool like I felt like I was talking to a friend so even if it doesn't pan out like any sort of romantic way I feel like I made someone who could be a friend. He was excited for me I was excited for me and I kept chatting with this person and a couple weeks later he asked if I wanted to come to his town which was about an hour away. Now that might seem crazy to some people who live in big cities with a lot of people near them, but this is a tiny town and it's a tiny college town and I'm almost twice the age of most of the incoming college students. I really don't want to date any of them. And to be honest, I'm also pan and would prefer dating women, but there's not a lot of uh, women on the market that get swooped up as soon as possible and usually just as soon as they find a girlfriend that they're into, uh, they get married. So yeah, I hit it off with this person and I made plans to go and visit him in his town. So I'm driving over there and about 30 minutes into my drive, I get a phone call from him and he said, hey, by the way, my ex-girlfriend who still lives with me wants to meet you before we go on our date. And I was like, oh, okay. This was not once mentioned previously to me driving out there that he lived with his ex-girlfriend, nor was it mentioned that uh, she would want to meet me. Now, I don't have a problem with it. I would just like communication and to know what I'm going into, especially on a second date. A second date where I'm not trying to be a primary to this person. I am just trying to have some emotional connection and see where things go. I have no expectations and I'm not looking for a husband. By the way, he knew this. 100% my profile specifically said all of this in it. So I continue my drive and it's beautiful. Beautiful corn and beans. Corn and beans. That's the whole drive. And I get another call. Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Oh, by the way, my babysitter canceled, so we're going to have to have the kids with us. 
My jaw dropped. I was not planning on even meeting his children. I had no idea they were going to be there because he said that he had a babysitter already lined up and that they would already be there before I arrived. And at this point, I was about 15 minutes away. I call my partner and he says, well, if you want to still go, like you can still go and just hang out and whatever. Like it doesn't even have to be a date. Like if you're thinking he's going to be a friend, then that's totally fine. But you can also turn around if you want to or go do something on your own. And I said, you know what? I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens. So I arrive and who comes to greet me at the door but the ex-girlfriend. She brings me in and she's watching an anime, Seven Deadly Sins, and invites me to come and sit down with her and the children and she introduces me to her children. So obviously she's okay with me meeting them. And she starts talking to me and he is nowhere to be seen. And she's just like shooting the shit with me and talking to me and her date is coming too. So he, she's about to be picked up as well. And uh, she was just waiting for him to arrive. And so once the doorbell rings and it's her date, she calls up the guy to come upstairs because I guess he was in the basement. He says working. Sense the sarcasm here in the term working. He comes up, he says hi, Um, he says hi to his ex's date too, and the ex goes off um, on her date. And so I'm stuck there, stuck with three children, all under the age of like six. The youngest is like one, and him, and he says, hey, I need to go finish something at work real quick, I'll be right back, and leaves me alone with his three children only having met me one time before. One time. I start texting my partner and I'm very concerned and I don't want to leave because if I leave, these children are alone and I feel now obligated as a mother myself to these children. And so I hang out with them. They're really kind. We play some Pokemon Go together and we start, we keep watching the anime that's on and play some games And like an hour goes by and the youngest one uh, has an accident in their diaper. So I go over to the basement and I say, hey, your child needs a diaper change. And he tries to tell me where the supplies are. And I said, no, you need to come up and change your child's diaper. I am not going to change your child's diaper. I do not know your child. I do not want to be a stranger just doing that. And I wouldn't feel comfortable if it was my child having someone I've only met once doing that as well. That isn't a babysitter that you vetted and know their parents. So about 15 minutes goes by and he comes up to change the diaper and does so. And then he goes back downstairs without a word, no word. And so I'm still there with his children. I go back over there and I say, hey, I think they're hungry. It's getting to be lunchtime. Uh, I don't know what to feed them. Um, Maybe you should come up and we should have lunch together and go to the park or something. And he says, okay. So he comes upstairs and he uh, makes a bottle for the baby. Now the baby I'm assuming is about one. Um, And he puts formula in the bottle as well as Nesquik. Nesquik in the formula bottle with the formula. Nesquik. And I am freaking out. I am like, this child is going to have diabetes. This is so unhealthy. What in the world? I have never seen this done before. Never. Ever. 
and my anxiety is like through the roof I'm still texting my partner I'm like oh my god you cannot believe it like this is what just happened and he's like what the hell I, I I'm not even a parent and I know that is not how you parent anybody that is horrible so um he gives that bottle to the baby um in like a little play thing and the other kids are sitting with me and he just hands them like a bag like a snack I don't even remember what it was chips and goes back downstairs again and I'm like what the heck is going on like this is ridiculous and so I say hey can we go like to the park or something like I came all this way and I'm just up here with your kids and he's like okay so he comes back upstairs and the baby's done with the bottle and he's like okay and he gets the bottle cleans it out rinses it out and then puts Mountain Dew in the bottle and gives it back to the baby Mountain Dew I am absolutely shooketh. At this point, I am like having a full-on anxiety attack over this child who is probably like going to die of a heart attack now. And we do end up going to the park. I am not fed. The children have had processed food snacks. And I am now at the park playing with the children, running around with them, and he's just taking pictures of the kids on the swings and stuff, like, for his ex. And I'm assuming just to be like, hey, look, I'm a good dad, and we're at the park. So we finish up at the park. The kids are tired. The baby needs a nap from that sugar high and crash. And we go back and put the baby down. And the other two kids, the older two, um, which are probably, I think, like, six and five maybe they're like seven and five um we go back and they are watching tv again and i'm sitting there with them and i'm like i don't know what to do i'm so hungry and i don't know where anything is he goes back downstairs again so i come downstairs and like i have the the two older ones are the only ones there by the tv so i walk downstairs and i see he's actually not working he has his headphone on he's talking to people in a game it's an obvious game. He tries to play it off like it was work and he was talking to people at work. He's down there playing freaking video games and I'm watching his children. So I go back upstairs. I'm pretty upset, but I don't want to leave these kids. And so eventually the ex comes back and she asks if they've eaten dinner. And I said, no, none of us have eaten since you left except for some chips and some Mountain Dew, which he also gave cans to the other children, by the way. It wasn't just the baby. Everyone was sugared and caffeined up, except for me, because apparently offering me anything to drink or eat was odd or not going to happen. So she makes me like a frozen pizza and this really cool pizza maker on the counter. And she like tells me about her date, which seemed really cute and fun. And I was a little bit jealous of that. And he comes up and acts like he'd been there the whole time. I've already told her he hasn't. And then I leave and drive home. And they were like, oh, you could just stay on the couch tonight and, like, drive back in the morning since it's late. By the way, I didn't tell you this was six hours. I was there for six hours. And my house, like I said, was a little over an hour away from theirs. So I'm like, no, I'm going to go home. So the whole way home, I'm talking to my partner and just like venting about everything that just happened and how weird it is. And 
I don't know what to do. And I was like, I am not, not, not ever seeing that guy again. He's not even a friend. Like, what the heck was that? I've never had a date like that. I mean, it wasn't even a date. I was a free babysitter. A free babysitter he didn't even have to feed. And then I get a call and it's him. And I'm like, I wonder what he's going to say. So I switch over to his line and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry that I was working so much while you were there. And my ex really, really likes you and wants to know if you're going to come back again or if I'm going to keep seeing you. So I wanted to know if you wanted to go out again. I was absolutely stunned that he would even say this, that this would be coming out of his mouth, that he would assume that I would say yes to any of that. And then as I sat there, went back on the other line with my partner, I came to the realization. It was probably her who made him that dating profile, her who had him meet up with me, her who sets up the dates, her who invited me to come, and it's her that wants him to find somebody who will be good to those children and make sure that he stays in line and actually parents them before she will move out and trust him with those children. I am guaranteeing that is exactly what it was. And I am not that girl. That was not going to be me. If you have any bizarre dating stories like this one, or very off the wall, doesn't even have to be anything like this one, you can write them in to me if you want me to tell your story, because I have more of my own. But this, this one was probably the weirdest one that I ever went on. Weirdest and, I don't know, it just sticks with me babysitter guy. I sometimes check in on him still and make sure that he hasn't subjected any other women to his dating antics. Which this all leads me into another thought process that I have. I was having a conversation with a friend and we were talking about how lesbian women tend to like him, male presenting person. But this all led me into my non-dating phase the one where I said no to everybody, and the one where I found out that saying no to everybody meant being called every name in the book for just saying you're not interested kindly. Now, I'm not going to go on my soapbox and say that only women experience this or female presenting people, but I have never had a female presenting person do this to me, so this is just coming from my own experience. And I mainly hang out in lesbian bars. And even in those lesbian bars, the men that come in there are the ones who do this to me. Now, many a times I have tried the whole, I'm not interested. I'm just here with my friends. I'm a lesbian. I am not interested in male presenting people. I'm not here to meet somebody. And all of those really nice things. Heck, I've even tried the, I'm married, even when it was a lie. I have tried the, I am taken or in a relationship, even when it was a lie, and they don't respect it, and they still call you a slut, whore, C-word, all because you said no to them. Very kindly, mind you. So if they're going to be rude to me anyways, and I'm in a safe place, I've started having a little bit of fun with turning people down. My go-to to somebody asking me for my social media 
is just giving them my TikTok. That should tell them everything they need to know about me and why I would be turning them down. My second is when they ask me for my phone number or most recently my Snapchat, which I feel is very bizarre. And I don't understand why that is the new phone number thing, but I tell them I don't have a phone while I'm on my phone. A new one I've been trying is my rum springer's done in like five minutes, so I'm going back to my community. My parole officer is the only long-term commitment I want. I don't know. What do you think? Write in the comments what a good uh, turndown would be that uh, if you're in a safe place would work because I need some more of them and you know what maybe I'll even film some of them because that's funny and it's bound to happen when you go out especially to a lesbian bar for some reason those men seem to think that they can just have the magical penis to turn any lesbian into a straight person and uh, I guarantee you it's not true which all of that leads me into the silent killer the male, typically male presenting person in polyamory who is secretly not polyamorous. They join the munches, the communities. They hop into your DMs knowing that you're in relationships. And what they really want, what they really, really want is to lasso those poly girls into being monogamous with just them. And typically, they'll pretend they want to be monogamous with you too, but they're just cheaty cheaters, and they're not actually poly. Now, I dealt with that too, and that's another dating story. But it's part of why I also stopped dating. It was either that or the weirdos, and that's all I got. I didn't get any, like, normal freaking humans. So I started just dating women. And that goes for women that are cis, trans and non-binary they thems that present femme um and i am very much on the fence with the whole cis man thing just because of how i've been treated by so many of them that say that they're different and i am not a man hater i have a lot of male friends a ton of male friends and i have a lot of male followers on my tiktok that understand completely why i chose that and why for my own protection and safety i've chosen that and it does not mean that i don't think that there are good men out there because there are i know them they're not interested in me and i'm not interested in in those specific people but they're out there and they give me hope that they are but i just am not in the market to figure that out right now i i'm tired of dashing through the lassos and the people that are just there to try to make me babysit their children. I'm really just looking for connection, real human connection, and I understand that one person may not be the person who can give me all of that connection that I need, and I may need some, even if it's from friendships, that emotional side of things. And that's why you should have multiple relationships in your life. I'm not saying that everyone should be polyamorous romantically, but they should have m more than one friend in their life that they can rely on because it's not fair to put everything on one person as far as your, your needs. But sometimes that's just what you have at the time and it's hard. And I, I, I think we all can relate to that being a very difficult thing in a relationship. I've been on both ends of that, of being the one who's constantly needed and being the one that's constantly needing. And right now, I am someone who is needing a lot. 
and not getting my needs met. And it's very difficult being the person who is stuck in their house and in bed and in hospitals and not having that actual human connection, which again is a big reason why you guys are now my other relationship. So welcome and thank you for letting me emotionally dump on you. Now I should probably warn you, I am extremely Nero spicy, which might be part of my issue with finding people and not being as open because I'm now seeing how much I masked before and just put up with thinking that I needed to to fit in and now taking off some of those masks or combining them to be me and fully me and understanding that I don't need to please other people that I am now realizing how weird my situations really were and that I wasn't the weird one in them even though I felt like the alien in those situations. Please tell me I'm not alone in this. But also dating in general, me deciding to date in this day and age when technology really takes over every aspect of our life and that's the way we meet people. I really feel like it's not the way that I meant to meet people because I take things so literally so when I see their profiles and who they are and what it says and then I put that together with other people who have said the same thing about themselves then I kind of just make these people into other people who've told me the same things that or if it's a new profile and I read it and I'm like okay that's exactly who the person is and then I meet them and it's not them at all like we need to stop putting on our profiles who we wish we were and start just like underselling ourselves honestly and letting meeting people speak for itself because it's just been a crap show and that's me saying even on bff bumble because that's where i've been on lately trying to make adult friends um and i don't mean that in a sexual way i mean that in a um way of actually making a friend and speaking of that what is up with the ghosting i've been ghosted so many times like even paying for a whole quote-unquote date and then them not showing up and not saying anything and just like blocking you it's okay if you have anxiety it's okay if you need to meet in a different setting with friends or people that you know around and inviting each other like a, a group event a group event is perfect for a first meetup especially this day and age because there's so much murder okay And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to get murdered yet. I'm okay with it someday, but not yet. I want my death to be in the news. I want it to be crazy. I want it to be weird, but I at least want my body to be found so that I could be buried under a tree. That is all I request, please. That is not permission to murder me, by the way. It's just saying that if that's the way I'm going to go, like I'm going to go out screaming and fighting, but if that's the way I'm going to go, that's the way I'm going to go and it's better than cancer. I'm okay with, like, skydiving accident gone wrong. Gone wrong? I don't think the accident could go right, actually, now that I'm saying that and words are happening. Okay, Nero Spicy, back on topic. So basically, dating's been weird for me, and it always has been. Even, like, marriage was weird for me. Um, It was never the typical, like, fall in love, get married, have children thing. That's not how my life went, and maybe in one of these podcasts I'll tell you exactly how my life went, because... I do talk about it. Um, it's not. It's out there. It's not a secret. But um, I've I've only been through like the actual 
ins and outs of it, public speaking and talking about domestic violence and assault and trauma and things like that. But um, I've never recorded talking about it, I don't think, unless they recorded it and I don't know about it. But I used to talk with colleges and schools about different aspects of my story and they would invite me to come and speak on it and that's another whole story of how that started happening as someone who was extremely terrified of public speaking and very scared of how people thought of me judged me um, doing things wrong I was a perfectionist um, to the point where while going to school uh, college I was so angry about two B's that I got and they were both in math I love math. I absolutely love math. I was going to school for business. I love math. And I got a B plus and a B. And all my other classes for my degree, I got A's. All of them. And I was so mad about those two B's. Not that anyone has ever asked me for my freaking degree. Ever. um, While getting jobs. I was told I needed it. In the field that I was in, in California, when I lived in San Diego. Went back to school in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I got my degree and then no one since has asked me for it. Not a single time, same career, same career path. And then I went into banking and managing a bank. And then I went into mortgage and no one has ever asked me for my degree ever. It wasn't a necessity. It was just a necessity in California because the job market was so saturated that they really wanted people who had something more something shinier that they could flaunt even though I had the experience and had been managing stores since I was 18 um, when I went to go get a new job and do the same thing I was doing they said do you have your master's degree and I was like no I have my AA equivalent not the degree And I had experience. I had real world experience managing stores and making them better and providing. And I had all, I had my references from the store I was leaving and that they wrote me a letter of recommendation for new jobs. They just couldn't afford to pay me more. And they knew with everything I was doing that I deserved to be paid more, but they just couldn't afford it. And they knew I was looking and they offered to write me a letter of recommendation and it was very sweet and I still couldn't find anything. And it wasn't even that they didn't want me, it was that whoever else was applying already had a degree and was older than me and whatever. But um, I was got to the last round of interviews almost every time and was turned down and specifically because I didn't have a degree. So I went back to get it paid a lot of money and no one's ever wanted it since. So I'm sorry for that little tangent there, but um, yeah, basically I've been a perfectionist and now I'm not. (laughs) And my public speaking had a lot to do with that. And in college, um, I wrote two different papers, one on domestic violence and one on sexual assault. And the sexual assault one was actually in a different way than most people do it. I wrote a paper on the people doing the assaulting, not the people being assaulted. I wanted to know the statistics on who is doing this, how frequently, what's the percent of that group of people doing it, and what is it that we should look out for um, in those people. And not necessarily how we defend ourselves, but what we look for in someone else. And 
I absolutely loved that paper. I loved writing it. I loved researching it. And there wasn't a lot of research out there at the time. Um, there's been since a lot of research done in colleges um, at college age level of people admitting to doing it. The demographics, how frequently, um, the type and things like that. But that was not out when I was doing this research. So I was going through um, a lot of my own research through different colleges, through police departments, through interviewing um, um, psychologists that deal with people who are the uh, perpetrators when they get out of prison. Um, and so a lot of my research was done that way. Um, and now there's a lot more research that backs up exactly what I saw. And actually the numbers are even scarier um, in the research now than what I saw when I was in college and from the research that I did. Um, and of course, the research I did was only based off of people caught, not people who did it who aren't caught, which only about 1% of perpetrators end up in jail. So it's very difficult when you only have that 1% of people that are caught to uh, research. But I uh, went through that paper and a professor saw it and he signed me up for a speaking arrangement and I was terrified absolutely terrified um, I said no at first and later said yes and he said good because I already signed you up so I ended up doing that speaking arrangement and then so many people came up to me afterwards and told me their stories said that they'd never spoken out about it because no one would believe them because of the statistics around the person actually getting tried, actually going to jail, and then them having to go and talk in front of people about what happened. And seeing the change in these people after being able to express what has happened to them and be validated in that and have someone believe them was huge. And so I agreed to the second arrangement, and then the third, and then the fourth, and then the fifth. And then soon it was a normal thing that I was doing, going and speaking at high schools, colleges, and some actually churches even invited me in. They were a little more liberal churches, but they invited me in to speak. And it was just huge that people could actually come to me afterwards. I would set aside time that they can come and talk to me and help them either with resources or help them just by listening if that's what they needed and just validating them and letting them talk. And it was huge. It was huge. The other side of my paper, uh, a different paper, was domestic violence and my story um, with my first marriage as well as relationships and um, growing up in a home with violence. And that was very, um, I guess, healing for me to write that out and to speak about that as well. And that was the first time I publicly, openly spoke about these things. And there were some people still in my life at that time that really shouldn't be, that contributed a lot to those things. And through writing about it, through talking about it, through connecting with other people and being more open in therapy and going to therapy that was not um, centered around a church. So switching that up to a therapist that actually knows what they're talking about, and I'm not like trying to diss on therapy through churches, but those therapists, quote unquote, did not have degrees. They were counselors and they were run by the church, which is who my stepdad worked for. 
he's a pastor at the church. My mom worked there. They communicated with them, and the, the, the counselors would tell them things. Like, it was not anonymous. It was not um, held in any regard for me. Um, and it also was very Christ-centered instead of person-centered, where they act like, you can just pray anything away. And that just is not the case for anyone who is religious. I am not going to bash on you. I'm only coming from my own perspective and my own place of how I grew up. And I was very much isolated to the church between youth groups, church, and etc., etc., working there and having it at home too, having a pastor dad. Um, but being able to break out of that and have therapy that was not centered around the church that I went to and was centered around actual medical mental health um, was huge and helped me a ton with figuring out healthy relationships, healthy boundaries, who to cut out, when to cut them out, when to bring them back in, when to believe them, when to like do everything. And it was very, very different and good and I really recommend therapy to everybody. <laughs> like, even if you feel like your life is great, it's nice to have somebody that you can talk to. I mean, I don't know what that feels like, but <laughs> it's nice to have someone to talk to even when your life is going as well as it can. Even if that's just a friend who's super empathetic too. I know therapy is out of reach for a lot of people and not always covered by insurance and things like that. So I'm not saying that you have to go to a therapist and pay money. Um, but it's nice to have someone to talk to that is going to actually listen and just talk about your stuff and help you kind of get to a place in your own head where you make sense of everything. Um, that's what I really needed. And it helped a ton and helped me cut out those relationships that I needed to that were contributing to my perpetual abusive cycle of getting into relationships that were very unhealthy and very similar to the one I grew up with in my household. Shocker that the um, spicy divergent person uh, has a cycle, isn't it? The pattern. Those darn patterns. But yeah, getting all of those things together in public speaking, I mean, I would never have imagined that I would be putting myself out there on the internet, let alone just talking about it in general if it weren't for going to college and having public speaking events and engagements and just finding myself. And the funny thing is, I went back to college really late. Like I said, I had already been managing stores for a long time. I went back to college when I was 24, 25, and I think I appreciated a lot more going when I was older and doing it all on my own. I already had four kids at that time, and I was a single parent, so it was very, very eye-opening, very different, and I was very motivated to get all of the learning experience, all of the growth and just really immerse myself into the school and the community in general. I really wanted to grow and I wanted to do the best that I could and find a career that I really loved to be a part of. 
And honestly, now that I'm going through all of these medical issues and trying to figure out what I'm going to do with myself and feeling like I'm starting all over again, I feel like I need to remind myself that you're never really too old to really just change paths and do something new and different and do what you love because, you know, the old saying YOLO, you really do. Um, and if, if that's not true and we're reincarnated, um, we only have memory fully of this life unless you're really uh, lucky. So I really want to enjoy what I'm doing as much as I can. And I love my career. I love this. I love making content and cosplay. And I just want to immerse myself into all the things I love to do and enjoy whatever life I do have. And I think you need to do that too. I'm not saying leave your job. I'm not saying be financially not stable to do it. I'm saying to add those things in and make them important. Make those little things important. Write a list. Write like 10 things down that you really enjoy to do or you want to get into or you want to try. Um, And you can even break that down into little pieces if you can't think of 10 things. Um, And then make a plan to do each one and just try them out. Do you want to try geocaching? Go and find one. There's probably one right by your house. Do you want to try, I don't know, dancing? Um, I do it terribly, but I try. Uh, Do you want to try cosplay? I can give you some great tips to do it with stuff you already have around your house. Uh, If it's a money problem, do you want to try makeup? Um, It's really fun and creative. Do you want to try face painting, painting in general, poetry, writing? Let's just get back to those basic things that we really enjoy doing and just do them. And yes, you may not feel good about it right away because you're not great at it. And no one is freaking great at anything the first time they do it. And if they are, they're lying. Okay, they're not lying because my kids are so good at art and I don't understand it. They just pick up a pen and just draw. But those are lucky ones. Um, (laughs) But you know what? You may find something that you love and it's okay if you don't. And then move on to the next thing. That is okay. I think that the whole stick it out until you're good at it thing um, is toxic and something parents do just because they paid money for you to do that thing. So you're going to stick it out and do it even if you hate it. I hated basketball. Oh man, I hated basketball. Um, But I, I really think people should try things. And if it's creative and artsy and getting you into that mindset of making something it can be really healing and really just eye-opening to what's out there and what you can do with your own mind and body, even if it's ugly, okay? Like, I've made some really gross drawings, okay? And my kids, they placate me and tell me they're great, but I made it. It's something, and it came out of me, okay? It's a gross cow, but it's a cow. You can tell what it is, okay? Pictionary. It's Pictionary-worthy. And honestly... Some of the things that I do creative-wise on TikTok, a lot of the videos that I am the most proud of and spent the most time and energy on are the ones that get the least amount of views. And I, at first, was very upset about that. But at the same time, I go back and I look at them and I'm proud of them still. Did it get less views? Yes. Did people not appreciate it the way I did? Also, yes. But I did it. I did it and I loved it 
and I completed it and I put myself out there and I did it over and over and over again and that's what it took for me to really just not care anymore about what other people thought about me. The comments are nice. The, I don't know, acceptance is nice. But you know what? The video that got five views, it's also nice. It's out there. It's me. I did it. And I'm proud of myself. That was another tangent and you're probably all asleep by now. But yeah, that's your homework. Write down 10 things you want to do and do one of them. So now that all of you are either asleep or mad at me for giving you homework, I'm going to wrap this up. (laughs) I don't have any new Patreons uh, from the first episode because I'm recording all of these, uh, I believe, three or four podcasts before the first one even launches officially. So I do not have any new Patreons to announce, but if you do sign up for any of the Patreon Uh, tiers and they start at three dollars a month you will get early access to the podcasts as well as you will receive um, other benefits for each tier and I will also announce you by the username that you choose on the podcast so the following podcast that I record after you sign up so it may be a couple weeks after you sign up that you hear your name but you will get that thank you and if I ever forget you for any reason you better yell at me and make me do a special one just for you. I appreciate everybody who is investing in me whether it be items from my wish list or time whether it be money or just encouragement comments reviews five-star reviews especially please. Um, I am so thankful for all of you and you're making this possible and honestly if no one listens no one listens and I'm putting myself out there just like I said earlier I am so thankful and I hope you have a blessed day blessed blessed be day all right crow out <laughs>